Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Lee Abamante. Before we get to that, I do have some announcements to make, and that is that I will be on the road in February doing some stand-up just like the old days. Going to go out there and bring the funny to the people, hopefully. And my first stop is Vegas. It's been years since I've worked in Vegas, and this is a club I haven't played before. It's called the Sin City Comedy Club. And that is in the Planet Hollywood Hotel, February 2nd through 8th. That's a Monday through Sunday. Seven days in Vegas. That is a long time to be in Vegas. But, hey, going to be performing one show a night, 8.30 p.m. It's me and a couple other comedians. And in between the acts, there's sexy burlesque dancers. Ooh. But it should be an interesting show. And I'm going to have a lot of fun. So if you're in Vegas the first week, starting the second, which is the day after the Super Bowl, so everybody be leaving town and I'm going to be showing up. So hopefully you'll be there. Or if not, tell some friends who are going to be there to come on out to the Planet Hollywood at the Sin City Comedy Club. Also in February 17th through the 21st, I will be back in Chicago, my home clubs, uh, my old stomping grounds, the 17th and 18th, 17th and 18th rather, which is a Tuesday and Wednesday, I will be downtown on Wells Street at the Zanies Comedy Club, the original one. Then I will move on Thursday, the 19th through Saturday, the 21st, to Zanies in St. Charles at the Pheasant Run Resort. So get a little city and a little suburbs. I'm covering all bases. So any of my friends listening to this, they want to come see me in Chicago, that's where I'll be. Go to thezanies.com and uh, book your tickets online. It would be great to see everybody. Okay, now we'll talk about the travel website. TravelTalesPodcast.com is our website, of course. You can go there and see uh, photos, see stories, see articles. You can listen to the episodes from there, or you can hit the links to all our media. That is, of course, iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, please give us a good rating. Huh? That's a nice thing to do. There's Stitcher Radio. There are links to our Facebook page. Give us a like. Twitter, we're at Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. LinkedIn and blah, 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 blah. So all that, you can go to the TravelTalesPodcast.com website and click links to all those. Follow us, please. And if you want to write me, I've been getting some letters. Or letters. I say letters like I'm a 90-year-old person. I've been getting some emails from people suggesting some guests. And uh, thank you so much for that. Hopefully, I can make some of those work. It's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. So do that. Write me. Say hi. Suggest people. Whatever you got to do. It's great to hear from you. Okay, my guest today is Lee Abamanti. He is, uh, as he said, the youngest person or youngest American. I don't know. We clarified that in the, in the talk. To visit every country in the world. And I can't say I'm not a little bit jealous. And in, especially because he just got back from the South Pole amazing trip. He's got amazing travel tales. And uh, it was really cool to meet him. 
I think you'll enjoy what he has to say. Please enjoy my conversation with Lee Abamanti. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm here with Lee Abamante. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Abamante. 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 <laughs> Sounds uh, very Italian. It is very Italian. Okay. But you don't strike me as like your typical East Coast Italian guy. No, nah, Probably because nah. you're from Connecticut. Maybe yeah, I'm it. a Connecticut guy. Um, I'm not like super hairy. Uh, I don't have greasy hair. And, uh, <laughs> There's no Sopranos vibe about you. No, know? and I'm educated and I can speak English properly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw you that you were in town. Uh, you were having lunch with uh, Rachel Rudwall and Melanie Wynn, friends of this show. And uh, so this is your intro on every show that you're on, that you are the youngest guy to go to every country in the world. Yep, exactly. Now, is yeah. this a person in general or American? Well, technically, it's American. There's some okay. guy in England who's like 24 or something and claimed he did it earlier, but I'm not really buying that. But, uh, <laughs> but just in case, I go with uh, youngest American, and there's no Americans on the horizon, so I feel pretty comfortable about it. Has anybody ever called you on this? or Is, like, is there a way to document it and prove it? Yeah, there's some like internet sites that document this kind of stuff, and uh, only 98 people have ever actually been in every country, or at least claimed to have been, and only about like 55 or 60 are actually still alive, and uh, <laughs> and all the Americans who have done it are older. So okay, so what was the age? Can I ask you your age? We're in Hollywood, and people yeah, don't was, like to uh, say their age. Yeah, I was 32 when I uh, finished all the countries. I'm, I just turned 36, so I'm 36 now. Okay, so you're originally from Connecticut. Yep. When did the first travel start on your when did, when was that first passport stamp uh september 7th 1998 98 yeah, okay I, I did a study abroad here in london and uh traveled around europe that year it just kind of really changed my life that was like the best decision i ever made without so it, knowing it so it hit every single country there's what like over 200 countries uh, 193 technically okay. if you go by the u.n list but, you know, people have different lists, but uh, we go by UN. Because there's all those places like French Guiana, which is not technically a country, but it's a French protectorate. I don't know. How how do you distinguish? Oh, man, we could do like a three-hour show just about <laughs> this. But, yeah, there's uh, – so then there's another list called the Traveler Century Club list, which is like the 193 UN plus uh, – Unique destinations and territories like French Guiana or French Polynesia or Martinique, et cetera, Puerto Rico, Guam, Saipan, those types of places. And there's 324 of those according to the Traveler Century Club list, which is for people who have been to over 100 countries, hence the century. Now, when you started out, was this the goal or did it just end up that, boy, I've traveled a lot. I might as well try to hit all of them. Yeah, it was never a goal until it became a goal. That's kind of like the old <laughs> right. adage there. After um, about 100, you went, wait a minute, I could do the other 100. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, I was at like about 120 or so in two, late 2006. I had just come back from climbing Kilimanjaro, and I got an email from a friend of mine. And uh, he was like, dude, there's like this record for being the youngest to go to every country. And I was like, no shit. And I was like, okay. And uh, <laughs> so I, I just did the time and money kind of analysis. And I was like, screw this. I'm going to do it. So I just it. did Kilimanjaro last February. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Did you do, which route did you do? The uh, Machame. Okay, I did the, uh, the the one with the huts. The, oh, Morangu. Morangu route. Yeah, the, the Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola route. route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Jimmy Carter did that. Really? Yeah, but he stopped at 15.5. He didn't get to the summit. Okay, yeah, I yeah. made it, but uh, did you get sick? Um, like I didn't get sick. Uh, my best friend who I went with, he got sick the first day. I, I didn't get sick, but I got like massive headaches uh, the second day. Yeah, after um, like 15,000 feet was my, I realized that's my cutoff. Yeah, that was the day. That's when it hit me. Right. That was the day we went up to like 15 and then came back down and slept at 12. Like my head was just pounding that day. But, uh, you know, I 
just took uh they had some like witch doctor pain medicine pills that they gave me you didn't do the diamox thing i didn't do diamox at least initially and then i started like on day three which was stupid i should have started on day one (laughs) i mean you just pee a lot but i mean other than that it's pretty good it really helps so you started in 98. Yeah, September 98, and then I finished in August 2011. Um, and I was really never in any rush because like, I knew I had a lot of time because I was already at a point where I was like more than halfway there with like plenty <laughs> of time to go. Um, yeah, honestly, if I had known about this like when I was a kid, I probably, I'm really competitive. I probably would have done it a lot <laughs> earlier. But uh, you know, I also like, tried to really get the most out of my experience. It wasn't like I was just kind of hopping around. So um, you know, I always tried to do stuff, at least in the places like where it was you know good stuff to do like you know it's been months in certain places that are worth the time i mean as as the story goes if you've been to chad like one day is good you know yeah but uh if you've been to like (laughs) india or brazil like you need to go back several times and you know spend months there because there's so much well that was the other uh issue that i know a lot of people have there's that movement of slow travel you know people going well if you're hitting that many countries you're not really seeing it you know there's now i'm more of like you i like to see a lot of stuff. But I mean, how do you fight that? I mean, were there some places where, okay, yeah, you don't want to be that American that goes to Europe and sees 10 countries in a week, you know? Well, you know, here's the thing. It's like, no matter what you do, you can't please everybody. And, <laughs> yeah. and everyone's going to criticize. Like, here's the thing. If you spend a month in, I don't know, France or any, anywhere, really, and then everyone, you're, you're like, wow, that's a good amount of time in a place. And then there's always going to be some jackass who's been like, well, I lived there for like two years and I didn't see everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, so what if I went for two years? And somebody would be like, well, you need to really spend five years to really get to know a place. You know what I mean? So you, <laughs> right. you can't win that game. And uh, so I just, I just stopped. Even I don't even pay attention to people like that. It's more like if you go and you're satisfied with your visit, that's fine because who are you doing it for? You're doing it for yourself, you know? And it's your time, it's your money, it's your experience, and why, why bother going if you're not going to get the most out of it? So I'm also the type of person who goes out and like just from the get-go is always doing stuff you know i don't just sit around and like read books in the hotel like i've seen some people do um and then just like oh i spent two weeks here well what did you do well i just hung out in the hotel i caught up on my reading like what (laughs) you could do that in florida right exactly go to your grandma's house and hang out you know (laughs) so are you a city guy do you like going to the small towns are you like a rugged camping guy or what is what's more the focus of your i always say i'm like a city and beach guy i love cities i love uh the big cities of the world. I mean, I live in New York City. I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles, Las Vegas. Uh, uh, and I love London. I lived in London, uh, Barcelona for a little bit, and uh, Prague, some other big cities. And yeah, I like the cities. And my favorite cities are generally ones with beaches like Sydney and Cape Town and, and places like Barcelona, places like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I love the mountains too. I love getting outdoors. Little small towns are fine for me for a, a little while, but then I get kind of bored. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs, so you know, <laughs> uh, seventeen years of that was pretty pretty good for me. And I've lived in Manhattan ever since. So, well, I'm going to ask you the other question. I'm sure that everybody asks it when you tell this story. Sure. How do you afford it? You know, I know you probably get that. All do you work along the way? Well, uh, in the beginning, I just paid for everything myself. Literally, uh, I went to every country in the world and paid for everything myself. Um, I started my uh, website, liebamonte.com, way back in late 2006 um, when I decided to try to go to every country because I thought it would be a cool way to document it. I actually didn't even know much about the Internet. Um, somebody approached me about starting the you know the website or a blog. I hate the word blog, but um, – <laughs> 
And so I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Cause I'm not like the type of person to, like write in a journal or a diary or whatever. So I was like, that's awesome. So, you know, the thing was, I was a wall street guy. I, uh, made really good money and, uh, I just never really spent it. <laughs> and, um, so I had money and, and as a kid, I had a, a landscaping business and then I worked and sold a company in college. Um, and, um, so I had the time and I had the money and then I just decided to do it. And then by 2008, I, uh, you got out before 2008, the yeah, big crash. It, it, I was just telling this yesterday. Um, I look like a genius because I quit in like mid August and I was working <laughs> at uh, one of the big major firms who a week later came out with their earnings that they lost like a trillion dollars. Oh my God. So I look like a genius, although it was just pure coincidence. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and from that moment on, I, um, I decided I was going to finish the list, but at the same time, go to all the countries, meaning, and at the same time, I was going to do something positive in case I couldn't make a career, so to speak, out of the travel stuff. So I got an MBA, um, and that afforded me the time to have breaks and finish going to all the countries. Like I had like a bunch of places in Central and West Africa and like some of the Pacific Islands, which are a real pain in the ass to get to. Um, so that's what I did. And by the time I was done, I got a lot of like notoriety and, um, publicity for, you know, going to all the countries that did a lot, started doing a lot of television and, um, and the rest is kind of history. And now it's like a full fledged business, uh, that I run that if you asked me five years ago, I would have been blown away that this is what I'm doing <laughs> for a living now and making good money at it. So did you get, uh, with sponsorship opportunities with like, uh, I don't luggage or credit card or clothing or anything like that, or airlines or anything like that all the above oh that's Um, great yeah i mean i work with uh the full gamut of of companies and honestly i like to do stuff outside of travel too um my biggest passion in life is sports so i like to do um you know stuff like that with uh so i'm working on deals now with uh my favorite team uh, and uh, a Yankees. couple other He's wearing a Yankees hat folks <laughs> and, a and oddly enough a Hartford Whaler hey, I grew up uh, in t-shirt I grew yeah. up in Connecticut and hmm. uh, you know how much it sucks when your team just ups and moves away <laughs> and then went to Stanley Cup in 2006 four years after they leave Hartford <laughs> that sucked so uh, you know it's um, yeah there's a lot of opportunities out there and um, you know with my business background and you know just very aggressive kind of selling style uh, I've been able to come to a lot of a lot of contracts a lot of deals it's uh, it's great and that's just like one of the businesses i do in travel so it's just it's really cool and every day is a new fun day it's good well i've been to every continent but i know there's certain parts of the world you say yeah a lot of the pacific islands it's a real hassle so you counted up you had to tick off places like the marshall islands and things like that and guam and oh yeah i mean that's a pain i mean that's <laughs> that's tough to get to uh yeah t- t- tell me about it yeah i've been to all those um and i've been to you know uh, not just the Marshall Islands, but uh, not just Majuro, but I've been to a couple of the Marshall Islands and like uh, Micronesian Islands. I've been to them all. You know, that's the thing. I there's was so many. Some of those countries have like a thousand islands or something y- like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you go to the ones that there's something there yeah. generally. Um, but some of them are really boring and really difficult to get to. Like um, I always jokingly but seriously say <laughs> Tuvalu, which is actually a country. It's like the second smallest country in the world after the Vatican. Uh, is like the most boring place on earth. And <laughs> you can only get there from Fiji. You fly. You have to spend two days minimum there. And honestly, after two hours, you're just like, okay, I've seen the entire country. And uh, you're like, now what do I do? Is that the one that's supposed to be underwater with uh, global warming yeah, soon? Yeah, within 30 years, they say it's going to be just gone, basically. So, wow. uh, And it's literally only about five feet above sea level. And uh, yeah, they don't seem to... <laughs> give a care about it at all they're just they just do their thing right in terms of hitting countries though i mean the things like south south america and, and europe or in, and places like that are pretty pretty easy to get around 
I, I always think that the hardest one and the region I haven't hit most are, like you said, like West Africa and Central Africa, uh, not only in terms of logistics, but safety and things like that. I mean, like go to a place like Sierra Leone or Liberia or something like that. It's got to be pretty dicey. Well, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. Everyone's always asking me about like safety and stuff like that. I did a like a three month overland trip from uh, Mauritania to Nigeria um, a few years ago. I guess it was two thousand and eight to two thousand and nine. It was like December, January that those years. Now planned yourself or with a group or with no, like, an it was organized just me, and, tour? me and a friend of mine. I just planned everything. We. Uh, the hardest part about it is getting the visas. That's the biggest pain in the ass um, because you need pretty much a visa to all those countries, um, less like two or three of them. And so that takes some time. It's expensive. You have to plan in advance, that kind of thing. And overland travel is a nightmare over there. So you just got to basically arrange it yourself. So I would just get to places and then you you know you do your thing and then just try to find somebody basically with a car that you think is manageable to get to the next place so you would get them to drive you to the border and a lot of times these guys they like know people on the other side of the border so then they call their cousin who like yeah. knows a guy who knows a guy and they come and meet you at the border so if you're going from freetown uh sierra leone to monrovia liberia they can usually take care of that for you and um I find that's the best way to do it. I, I, those buses are a nightmare. I won't do it. And uh, flying out there is a disaster. Believe me on that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and now, now obviously with like Ebola and stuff like that, there's some other concerns that I didn't have back when I did it. But I mean, anywhere you go, whether it's Afghanistan, Somalia, this and that, you just got to be, you got to be smart. You got to be vigilant. Just don't do anything stupid. You know, sometimes people are like freaked out to go to Mexico. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the state department comes out with this warning. It's like, don't go to Mexico. Or you're going to get shot and killed. Like, come on. That's like saying there's a, the, you know, there's a lot of crime in New York, right. so don't go to Iowa. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, that's no, not the same. It, it, you don't blanket America with the whole same It's exactly thing. right. And I understand that the government, the State Department, all these people, everyone errs on the side of caution. But I mean, you know, just be smart and realize, like, you know, it's not th- that bad. You know what I mean? And the people are nice. It's just generally the governments that suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we've been in war in, in Afghanistan for like 12 years, yep. though. So do you have to get a certain kind of clearance to go through as an American? You know, Afghanistan was actually surprisingly easy to get into. Um, I, I did get, uh, I went through this Afghan logistics company that like does security for like, I don't know, if, uh, a big senator like John McCain or somebody who was going to go to Afghanistan, he would use that and they'd provide protection for him. And I actually used that. That was the only country I've been to where I actually did that. But I mean, I was there during the war um, and I was in Kabul, not in like, you know, the Bagram Air Base, you know, like one of the U.S. bases. I was just out, you know, doing my thing. So I had a uh, an armored car, a, uh, a driver that spoke English, a guy with a Uzi who uh, literally <laughs> followed us around. It's funny. I have some pictures, actually. I played golf in Afghanistan in Kabul. I played nine holes at the Kabul Country Club. <laughs> and there's pictures of me putting like on the dirt because it's not really a green, you know, with some dude with this big Uzi nine millimeter like behind me, like ready to kill somebody if somebody tried to attack me. Well, do you organize the armored car or do the government said if you're going to go anywhere, we have to No, I I organized it. I um, just did the research, found the uh, logistics company that takes care of that kind of stuff. And again, this is the only time I did it, but the government's really no help whatsoever for you unless you're on official like government business like like when I went down to Guantanamo Bay, um, you know, they arranged all that stuff to help me get down there. But that was because I was invited down there. But like a place like Afghanistan, like where I wasn't invited or Iraq or, you know, Libya or whatever. I just uh, do all that stuff on my own. And it's usually most of it's on the ground. What, t- what type of year? What time of year was that? Because like I, I just talked to a friend of mine who worked for the Navy and he 
goes there all the time, or, to, or to the where? Air Force, to uh, Kabul. Yeah. And uh, now he's working for contractors and stuff. But he said, like, the weather in the winter there is, like, perfect. Yeah. And, but he said that the, the air is uh, so bad, like, because everybody's burning everything. It's, like, trash and plastics and, and everything. Yeah, it's very, it's very third world. It's very, uh, yeah, you get that smell of burning garbage like everywhere. There's no, no doubt about that. I went in, uh, I want to say it was May, and it was absolutely perfect. Um, don't, don't quote me on May, but I think that's when it was. And I went from Dubai, and it was just great. I had a, a great experience. Um, honestly, I mean, I was there for uh, a, a great experience. So everything in Kabul, and it was the war was still fully going on. I mean, Kabul was not like, you know, there was no fighting in Kabul. But, I mean, there was clearly a huge military presence. And, you know, the fighting up north, you couldn't leave Kabul. There was no way. So yeah. it was unfortunate. But it, I still had a great experience. Really enjoyed it. Okay, now this is where we get to the uh, fun uh, travel tales. <laughs> Give me your scariest border experience. Oh, jeez. Well, I've had so many of those. Um, and not, in, not even including experiences at the bathroom at certain borders. But um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <clears throat> probably the scariest, and I don't even know if it's so much scary, but um, the worst border experience, I'll say, is uh, I was crossing overland from um, the small country of Benin into uh, Nigeria. Um, it's about 45 to 60 minutes from Lagos uh, at that border. What a, and the border is a total dump. And uh, it's a notorious place where they shake you down. And I knew this going in. Uh, you just kind of deal with that stuff when you're in that part of Africa. It's really annoying, though. So I have me and my friend, we had all the proper visa and paperwork and all that stuff. Believe me, I am very organized with that kind of thing. And you don't want to go there and then have to deal with crap, you know. So then they're, you know, they sit there and tell you at the border, oh, you have to give us money because your visa is expired. I was like, oh, really? You know, I point to the date. I'm like, here's my watch. Uh, it's not <laughs> past that day. Believe me. I know how to, you know, read the calendar. And, you know, it's just one thing after another anyway. So it's just continual attempted shakedowns. And then when you finally do get through the border, then you get harassed by like 15 different people who want to drive you um, into town, you know, and you need to have somebody drive you into town. And then comes the negotiating thing. And then basically you get held hostage because you really have no choice but to essentially pay them because you have to get there. And we crossed it like eight o'clock at night, too. So it was like, what are you going to do? So we ended up uh, arguing for like a little while and this guy's like screaming at us and then everybody's like around you and uh, it was just kind of a nightmare. So we were there for like almost two hours getting shaken down and essentially held hostage. And then the guy who ended up driving us uh, stopped at one point and demanded we give him more money um, or he would stop driving us. Okay, so that pissed me off to no end. But what are you going to do? So you give him a little bit of money and then when you get into town, he got stopped by a cop, right? Uh, so we got into Lagos. We're looking for a hotel. He got stopped by a cop. And he saw that um, me and my friend were in the back seat and asked in the local language, like, how much money? Like, we gave him this and that. And then he had to pay off the cop, um, <laughs> who then tried to extort us for more money. Sure. So it was just like, I, I mean, seriously? you know, <laughs> How much are these payoffs? When you say more money, I mean, how much amount are we talking? It's hard to say. I mean, it depends on the country. I mean, some of these uh, countries in West Africa, I mean, you'll literally be driving, like, we've talked about Sierra Leone or something like that. There'll just be some guy who owns like a hut on the side of the road or something. He'll put a piece of string across the road and whoever's driving, like he just gives him like the equivalent of like a nickel or something like that or like a couple pieces of bread. Uh, so it, it's really depending. But then when you get into like a city like, um, you know, a big city in West Africa, like Abidjan or, uh, you know, Lagos or something like that, like you might 
be dealing with the policeman who has a gun or like can threaten to arrest you or something like that. And that's when it, you know, can get somewhat extortionate, especially in some of these West African um, and Central African oil countries where they have a lot of money. Yeah. My only experience with uh, Nigeria was coming back from the Kilimanjaro flight and uh, I was coming back through Lagos Mm -hmm. and I had to spend like nine hours in the Lagos airport last year. And it's the worst and just that taste of Nigeria alone in that nine hours, where I was treated like a criminal. They took my passport. They took everything. And uh, I said, well, you're not selling your country well. I don't need to come back here probably ever, I don't no, think. No, I always hate to pick on Nigeria because, um, like, you know, because I, I, it's not necessarily the people. It was just a horrible experience I had there yeah. with that type of stuff. But, I mean, if you're continually shaken down and extorted, especially by cops, you know what I mean, where they have the power over – literally, they could put you in jail if they wanted to. And what can you do about it? You right. Know? So, um, you know, that's just a frustrating experience. And, uh, yeah, and a lot of people have that experience going to countries like that. But Lagos is just um, – most travelers will tell you it's the worst airport and a lot of people dislike the city. Yeah. Give me a uh, – speaking of cops and military, give me your scariest uh, moment dealing with cops or military. Any, was it that place or um, – That was – you know, uh, three times in two days, a uh, policeman tried to threaten to throw us in jail if we didn't give them money. In I mean, Nigeria? In Nigeria, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if that was the scariest. It was certainly the most aggravating. Um, there was another time that, um, a cop in Latvia tried to do a <laughs> oh. similar thing. And it's funny because they always jokingly say that Riga is the Bangkok of the Baltics. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so that time I actually got it and, you know, it was like, we were at a bar, my friend, my buddy and I, and, uh, we're just doing nothing. We're just minding our own business, having a drink. And, uh, like this guy basically comes in, we didn't know he was a cop. He was, you know, just dressed like you and I are right now. And, uh, you know, basically tried to get us to uh, give him money. Um, and he basically said that we owed him a drink and uh, he sat down and then we, we were like, all right, man, like whatever, I'll buy you a drink, like whatever. And so I was like, uh, okay. And I need a thousand dollars for that give drink. Me the bill. And it was like $400. <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally. And so of course he's working in cahoots with the bartender and we didn't, you know, we didn't know. He just walked in. It was just shit luck for us, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, we just get in this huge argument. So, um, because I've been in situations like that before, I always now carry a cell phone. And so my move is basically to say that I work at the U.S. Embassy. So then I pull my phone out and pretend to make a phone call to the U.S. Embassy. I give some like BS like uh, employee number and stuff like that. And then the guy gets nervous. Give me and, Jason Bourne. Right. And then I'm like, I ask your name and your badge number and all this stuff. I'm like, can you call this into the Riga Police Department, like, et cetera? And then they get really nervous and they don't know what to do. And, you know, so then they just leave you alone. So that's how I got out of that one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, I mean, in terms of bribes and everything, what's the biggest amount you've ever had to pay off in one shot? Um, I'll be honest. Out of a situation. I, to get I, out of a situation. I, I honestly, I really never pay bribes. I, um, I'm pretty good at talking my way out of stuff. Um, I, like, honestly, for me to pay a bribe, it would take being really cornered um, <laughs> in, a, in a bad situation. Like, there's a couple times I've actually tried to bribe people at borders to uh, – like one time, speed I, things along. Can yeah, we move this process. Just, uh, one time, I wanted. I was trying to enter a country without a visa that I knew I needed a visa for. I just figured because it was right there, I figured it was worth a shot. <laughs> and like he wouldn't even take it. I was like, really? Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, usually uh, when when I arrange like these overland travel t- um, trips, like especially in Africa, because that's generally where the bribes take place. Um, 
I tell the driver, like, you handle all the bribes. Like, I'll pay you if you, you know, if it was going to be $60, I'll give you $100 and you just deal with all the crap. Okay. I don't want to have to deal with these guys. You, you mm-hmm. pay their little, you know, their gifts, you know, that they call them their gifts. <laughs> <laughs> gifts. How about language skills? How many have you picked up along the way? Um, I speak fluent Spanish and um, I, I'm pretty good with languages. Like, most of the Western languages I can get buy in or at least like read. Um, uh, you know, the accents are tough. Like my French is okay, but I mean, like in West Africa, it's difficult um, because of the the accent. It's very difficult for me to understand. Or like, you know, it's the difference between like Quebec and like right. France. You know, but I can read it for sure and order in restaurants, ask the basic questions, directions, numbers, that kind of thing. Um, same in Italian, Portuguese, uh, most of the Western languages. And then um, out of necessity, I taught myself to read Cyrillic so I could get around like the Russian countries and, you know, Eastern Europe and like Mongolia, places like that, because it's just very frustrating not being able to read the signs. So, but honestly, um, I would trade, you know, a Spanish and French in for like Russian and Arabic any day because <laughs> just way more useful. <laughs> oh, nowadays it's starting to be Arabic for sure. Yeah, and, and Chinese just, too. Yeah, Chinese but, would be nice. True, but at least in China, like in most, at least in the major cities, the signs are in English yeah. and in um, all throughout Asia. I never had a problem. Y- yeah, in Asia, and you can always find people that speak English. In Russia, you can't necessarily do that outside of like the major cities and hotels. I still haven't been to Russia. What is your thoughts? It's it's on my list, but it's low. Just because uh, there's nothing about the culture that appeals to me. You know, Russia is like a, a strange place. And, it's a hard place. And, and I'm part Russian in my family background. And, uh, you know, I've been there, uh, I don't know, probably eight times or something. And I've never really felt comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, I've been to the major cities multiple times. I've been to some of the smaller towns. And, you know, the border crossings are always a disaster. And you're never comfortable i mean you get these big like you know rocky four looking guys you know (laughs) what i mean like drago Drago. yeah (laughs) it's insanely corrupt with ak-47s it's it's totally corrupt and you know it is i mean the weather's horrible the The food sucks people are not people are cold and nobody smiles it's also expensive as hell yeah uh, like you know it's like a corporation like you know uh putin really runs the place like uh you know gazprom Mm. it's a corporation he's the ceo as opposed to the uh, president of the country so it's um it's a place you never really understand what's going on it's a culture that you just can't really grasp unless you're a part of it and really unless you're like even the the regular people unless you're like one of the oligarchs or something like that somebody who has something to offer to the government and to you know those types of people you really just don't get it and uh you're kind of an outsider even if you're a citizen of russia wow yeah, it doesn't what country would you say surprised you the most that you didn't know you would like it as much as you did? Um ironically, I had the best I'll say human experience in my life in Libya during the war. Um and it was also my 193rd country. So it was actually my last country to go to, but I was there during the Arab Spring. So, um my original plan was to fly there in March and that was to be my uh, final country. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to go to Tripoli and like go see Leptis Magna and all this stuff. And then everything happened and they made it a no fly zone. They canceled all the air flights and stuff like that. So I didn't know what I was going to do. So I'm sitting on one country to go and it was like driving me nuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, in August of that year, I got an email from a guy I know in Cairo and he was just like, well, the rebels have seized control of Eastern Libya. Um, I think you could probably cross overland from Western Egypt and I didn't even think about it. I just got on the next flight to Cairo. Literally, I just went to JFK and uh, flew to Cairo. Um, then I flew to this remote desert outpost um, called Mursa Mutra, which no one's ever heard of. Um, and then I, I met a guy. Um, I don't speak Arabic, you know, more than like the basic 
three or four words. And uh, I was like hoping this guy could help translate to a, a taxi or something to drive me to the uh, border. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I had a bunch of cash on me. So I was like, okay, well, this is one of those ones where I would pay, you know, especially <laughs> to get there. And then I had no idea what I would do when I crossed the border anyway. You know what I mean? But that's kind of how I normally do things. But this is a little different. So I was a little nervous. Anyway, so this guy, it turns out he was a UN dissident. And um, he was going back uh, to visit his family for the first time in like 40 years. And it was incredible. His brother drove across the border in this like old minivan. And um, he insisted on giving me a ride. And I offered money. He refused to take it. And um, he basically told me I was like his brother. And not only did we get across the border, we got caught in a firefight um, at the border, not because of us, but because the rebels and then some Chinese smugglers were trying to get across the border um, to bring fake cigarettes from Libya into Egypt so they didn't have to pay a tariff because there was no government in Libya at the time. <laughs> but the rebels still wanted some money and they wouldn't pay, blah, blah, blah. We got caught. Our car like literally got hit. We had to back up. We had to wait like three hours. Anyway, then we finally got through. And what a way to enter your last country, man. It was just... It was such a rush, and then uh, I ended up staying with him and his family in Tobruk, Libya, which there was a famous World War II battle, um, uh, but it was just an amazing experience. I stayed with his family. He hadn't seen them in like 40 years, and he insisted that like I stay with them. It was amazing, amazing experience. So what have you learned from going into regions like that about war and about American policies toward war, and especially in that Middle East region? Well, I learned, you know, the main thing you learn, like when you travel to, you know, the quote dangerous places is that it's not the people, you know what I mean? It's not the regular people. The everyday people don't want that crap. You know, they just want to live their lives and like do normal things, hang out with their family, friends, drink beer, watch sports, you know, and talk about <laughs> soccer, you know, whatever you like to do, like whatever normal people do. And um, so you learn that it's generally the government and you learn that most people love Americans. You really do. Like people think you don't. And it's a lot of times it's the governments or it's like extremist groups. But regular people, they love you. They're fascinated by you, you know, and they want to ask you questions. And because they've seen it on television and Hollywood, like where we are right now, you know, and they ask about like movie stars and you know, it's like, you know, they think like you're a movie star. They want to take pictures with you and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy. And, uh, it, it's really nice, actually. And it's it, honestly, it's changed a lot also from not to get political, but it's really has changed from the Bush years to the Obama years. I know. And I was. Yeah, I would tell people, like, especially those last few years of Bush. Yeah, like 07, 08. Hated him. 07, 08 Bush years were <laughs> wow. very, very difficult to travel with because usually when you said you're American, it's like, oh, yeah. I hate your president. And you're like, Ugh, you uh, here we go. Here I'll put on go. my Canada hat. <laughs> I never, never went that far, but, uh, you know, it was... Uh, put on my hockey helmet and move on. And it's funny, you know, then Obama becomes president, and he's like the president of the world, and, like, everybody loves him, <laughs> and it's funny because he's, like, so unpopular in America, but so popular in the rest of the world, you know, it's crazy. And then with Bush, it was completely... Uh, yeah. So, it's interesting. Yeah, that was a lose-lose on that one. Yeah. But the, um, you know, there, you always find some anti-American sentiment somewhere. You know, you can't get around it. There's because everybody has an opinion on it. That's why Canadians can get they just skate through everywhere because nobody has. A, they're like, oh, you're Canadian. Oh, okay, whatever. Nobody, but everybody's got an opinion one way or another on America because it's so omnipresent in their lives. They're either sick of hearing about it, or they're like you said, they're fascinated about it. Have you ever run into a situation where, like I have, around in certain places, I was cornered in a pub by guys who just wanted to grill me about foreign policy, and I just go, you know, maybe there's a time and a place for this, but. I don't think 2 a.m. in a bar is the place yeah. to debate this stuff. Yeah, yeah it was um, um, 
kind of famously, at least in my my head, um, I, I was in Iran and oh, well, uh, in two thousand seven and um, had a run in basically at, a, at the hotel I was staying in with um, you know some guys who wanted to talk about politics mm-hmm. and like in Iran you have to have a. Uh, a guide with you basically an escort so to speak and so i did and you know he speaks farsi and obviously english and he was like freaking out because he thought these guys were like you know gonna go crazy on me and i'm like listen man you know number one uh you know it's he's still he's the president of the united states i mean i didn't vote for him but that's how we do it in america you <laughs> yeah, know what i mean right. it's like that, that's just the way it works i mean i don't agree with a lot of the things that uh he did and neither did they as you might imagine but um it turns out that they were just more interested in hearing an American perspective on it than actually like arguing with me about it because they hated their president, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, I'm a dinner job, <laughs> I'm a dinner whatever, job yeah, yeah. At, at the time as well. So um, it was kind of funny because that kind of cemented um, that not all people agree with their government's policies, especially in those places like where they really don't have a choice. And, you know, they tell me this guy Ahmadinejad was reelected that time. Yeah, okay, right. It was like when right. Saddam Hussein was reelected, like people have guns to their head and like you have no choice. And you don't know these things until you go see them for yourselves, yeah. you know? I mean, I'm, when I went to Israel, it was the same thing. Like you hear your whole life in America about Israel and all that stuff. And then I went there and it was like, oh, I thought you guys were all on the same page. It's like, no, there's like your hardline conservatives. There's your liberals. Or there's a lot of atheists. There's, a lot, you know, there's all different types there. And they're just arguing about the same crap that we're arguing about. You know, yeah, it's Israel, politics. It's it, all the same stuff. It, yeah. Israel, the politics there are even probably stupider than yeah, they it's are nuts. in America. It's stupider a word um, in, in, in America. You know, <laughs> so. I, am, I, th- I thought you guys were all united about no they're just fighting about everything you know it's the same kind of thing yeah it's very true and then um you know there's such a russian influence in israel nowadays that um that really kind of skews the uh, the politics as well so it's uh, it's an interesting place for sure that whole region is interesting well aside from the politics and things like that what have changed over the last you don't you've done this 14 years of seeing the whole world have you seen a shift in terms of any kind of thinking or I mean the internet certainly has changed a lot and not only in ease of travel but in what people can see around the world the the internet and um cell phones are are definitely you know since I started traveling in 98 um are definitely the two biggest I'll say influences of change. Um, and GPS. That's always a good thing. <laughs> and GPS. Um, but technology is without a doubt the biggest uh, catalyst of change in travel, whether it's the way you travel, um, the way people get information, the way people see you. I mean, you know, look, look, what, look what I do. You know, I go all over the world and post stuff on my website, on Facebook, on Twitter, on now on Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, when I first started, I never did stuff like that. You know what I mean? And it was, I, I used to have a throwaway camera and I, you know, I'd, I'd go home after like a three month trip with like 20 throwaway cameras and I take the same picture 15 times because you're just hoping one of them came out right. <laughs> right. And now, you know, with digital cameras and now you don't even need a camera. You could just use your iPhone, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or whatever. And, uh, you don't need uh, a disc man anymore like you used to with a big thing of CDs. I remember those days. Now you just got one little iPhone that plays your music, it takes your photos, you do your email, your texting, your calls, everything. It's it's unbelievable. And the booking of you know, your flights, accommodation, things like that. I just took my mom to Ireland and she was amazed that I had no plan really. We rented a car and then I would just book I would sit at lunch and where are we staying tonight? Uh, let's see. Well, you could just do that on your phone. I go, yeah, Ma, this is how <laughs> this is how I travel. Yeah, you can book everything on your phone. I mean, I, you know, I'm still a fan of just kind of getting into a town and then just kind of looking around mm-hmm. and knock on a door and see if they have availability. I like doing that still. 
but uh, I'm also not averse to uh, to booking ahead of time, especially in like small towns. You know, what kind of accommodation guy are you? Some people uh, are like higher end things. I mean, how you know? Some people camp. What do you you go middle of the road? Do you get a you know? You know it's funny. Hostels. My, you know it's funny. My uh, my style of travel has changed over the years. Like it's because you're getting older, right? But I mean, so uh, is mine too. When you know, I I, I always kind of say and not jokingly seriously I, i've kind of done it all so like when i first started i was uh you know i mean i you know I, I had money but my friends didn't uh as a kid so because i had businesses and so we stayed in hostels and it was fun you know what i mean i was like this is so cool you could just party with people all around the world yeah and uh and i was fun for like when i was like 20 21 22 and then i kind of like was like okay it's like my <laughs> comes a hostile limit yeah it's like <laughs> jesus christ you know <laughs> yeah it's, right it's like you're trying to sleep and there's some guy uh, don't yeah, doing like, ecstasy next to you and yeah know. it's like living in a fraternity house like in amsterdam <laughs> or something you know and um which i did for two years so i had right. enough of that in college <laughs> and uh you know and it kind of boggles my mind now when i see people in their like 30s and 40s that still stay in hostels and i'm like you know if you don't have the money okay i get it but i mean i still see people like tweeting and stuff about hostels now and i'm like you're like 35 years old like enough stop it <laughs> yeah. like you don't have to go party with i don't want to be called pops yeah you don't in, have to party the- with 18 year old gap year students you know it's <laughs> yeah. like come on like get off the, the, the full moon party in thailand okay enough right know? right but um you know and then um uh, i always stayed when i went to like you know kind of you know what people consider like a dodgy place or something like that i would always stay in a nicer place and and now i pretty much only do like luxury travel oh really yeah I mean, you know, listen, I can, you know, I just, I just got back from Antarctica in the South Pole where I was like camping, you know what I mean? And, and on the ice. So, I mean, it depends what, what I'm doing. Like I've been on three weeks safaris in Africa where I slept in the dirt and I don't really, you know, care. Yeah. But, um, if I'm doing most of my travel, especially work travel or anything in the city, I, I become a really big fan of hotels, but, um, not so much for the hotel itself, but cause my schedule is so hectic. So I like to have a nice kind of like place like we're at where we are right now at the W in Hollywood um, <laughs> to kind of come and relax, you know, where like, what is the focus of your website in terms of going to these places? Do you review things? Do you review hotels? Do you review countries? Or are you just uh, marking where you've been and, and giving your recommendations? What is the no, goal? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't do hotel reviews. I just, um, uh, I just do general travel. So I basically do, um, like whatever I want to really. I mean, that's kind of the whole, but it's thing. not about like, uh, you know, the best the flight deals or credit card things or no, no, I don't do, I don't do flight deals. Like I don't do affiliate ads, that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, once in a while, like I, par- I have a partnership with a credit, like with the SPG MX card. And, um, so sometimes I do stuff with them and I have a partnership with American express. Um, so I do stuff with them, but that's, uh, but I don't push it on people. You know what I mean? Like if you go on my website, you won't find like a bunch of credit card ads, like on the main page, like uh, you might see on some other people's sites, mm-hmm. you know, that's not my thing. I'm not trying. I, I don't, I don't try to small ball people. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to, you know, try and make a couple bucks here, a couple bucks there on something else. I just prefer to do bigger things and, um, and do it kind of my way as like with my, brand at like partnerships as opposed to like affiliates i don't i don't like that i want to be a partner with brands well you dropped in the south pole so you dropped you already dropped that so now we got to talk about it because uh how do you set that up or what are the logistics of that do you go through uh argentina or do you go through like 
South with, Africa. Uh, South Africa. I went through South Africa. I partnered with um, a, a company that runs the tours who partners with a logi- Russian, Russian logistics company out of uh, Cape Town. Okay. And so I've been doing this for two years now, and it's a great partnership. And um, so I basically help book people to go to Antarctica and the South Pole. The South Pole trip is the most expensive trip in the world. It's $75,000 a person. Oh. Yeah. Hey. 70. And, f- whoa. Yeah. And – so we charter a um, – they the Russians own a uh, – or at least lease a Belarusian military cargo plane called the Aleutian 76. And for the five weeks of the Antarctic season, they fly from Cape Town like every 10, 12 days to Nova Lazarevskaya Russian research base <laughs> where they have like a three-mile uh, blue ice runway. And from there, there's like a couple of camps uh, set up for like scientists and then the Russians and then um, this company called White Desert that I do work with. And uh, you have like your little camp and then you go back up and you charter DC-3s, like World War II DC-3s that they've um, put Bassler engines on and now they can land on skis on the ice. So you fly out and you can visit the Emperor Penguins, like from March of the Penguins or Happy Feet, those things. I mean, they're unbelievable. (laughs) And I've done this two years in a row and then... Uh, you continue on to the South Pole. It's another six hours to 83 degrees where you have to um, – everything in Antarctica is in degrees, like latitude lines. So you go from 70 degrees to 83 degrees, about six hours. You refuel, and then it's another three hours to the South Pole, and it's minus 60 oh. uh, at the South Pole when I was there just uh, two and a half weeks ago. And, uh, yeah, man, it was uh, it was something else. And then you go back. I mean, it's an exhausting, exhausting trip, but it is – the best thing I've ever done in my life. So from Cape Town to the Pole and back again, how long does all this take? Well, I was down – altogether, it was about 12 days but because um, you camp at the base and you got to wait for the weather because it's all weather dependent. So uh, the first year, two years ago, I went and we didn't actually make the South Pole. I was actually down there with uh, a group that included Prince Harry and uh, from oh, England and a bunch yeah. of BBC guys and some other – um, people, I mean, these are the types of people that go because the trip's so expensive. So it's like, um, you know, we've had really famous like CEOs of big you know, mm-hmm. companies and stuff. And like a Kardashian. That. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was actually this year, there was like an Indonesian supermodel in her photography. Oh really? It was like the weirdest thing. Um, <laughs> very strange. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so it's, it's an experience of a lifetime really. Um, I don't know how else to explain it. It's There's 24 hours of sunlight this time of year. Right? Oh yeah. You got to wear an eye mask and the, and the whole thing. It's almost impossible to sleep if you don't. Now I'm from Chicago. I thought I know cold, but I don't <laughs> think I ever felt 60 below. What does that, what does that do to your face and like your well, it's funny because um, uh, you want to take pictures when you get to the South Pole. And for that, you have to take your, your neck gaiter off, which covers your face. And when you're doing it, you know, you smile for the camera and this and that. You feel like your teeth are freezing. But more so, the hairs inside your nose, which everybody has, uh, it feels like you're developing like these huge boogers in your nose all of a sudden. But it turns out it's just icicles on yeah. your hair inside <laughs> your nose. And if you go like you like squeeze your nose, icicles like fall out of your nose. It's pretty wild. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's bright sunlight, but you've got to take your glasses or goggles off because you, you, know, you want it to be you in the picture. And uh, you, you kind of squint like that because the sun's so bright and then the reflection off the ice is even doubly bright. So if your eyes are closed for more than a split second, your eyelids like close together and you have to like basically grab them and open them up. It's, it's pretty wild. And uh, any, any kind of scruff on your face like immediately just becomes frost. 
and if you're exposed for more than like a minute, like you're, you know, you risk getting some type of uh, frostbite or something like that. Does the camera freeze up on you? I mean, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's have, gotta be a problem. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, we had a couple of people that were like really big time photographers and, um, you know, you buy all this stuff and it's supposed to be like antifreeze resistant but, or whatever the word would be. And, <laughs> but yeah, it's not prepared for minus 60. So, you know, and I had like, extra batteries and like the whole thing and it kept putting them in but it's not even the battery that freezes and that's what everyone was nervous about it's just the camera itself it just kind of ceases working <laughs> so you got to get all your pictures real quick and then stick them inside your jacket warm it up kind of like cuddle it up and then pull it out again take a bunch of pictures and videos real quick and uh it's tough to to do stuff especially with those massive gloves you have on you know so it's it's hard to, to work anything what an experience it is would you do the north pole can you do that is that possible april 13th and 14th you are doing it. Yeah, I'm organizing a trip there. So if you know anyone who wants to go. <laughs> April 13th and 14th. Hmm. Yep. Is that another $75,000? No, it's 16,500 euros, so about $20,000. Why is it so much cheaper than North Pole? Because uh, you can actually fly, t- uh, you, you fly up to Svalbard in Norway, and then from there you take this uh, uh, short flight to this, I don't know, some kind of ice runway that's about an hour from the pole, and from there you take a helicopter right to the South Pole. So the fuel costs are significantly less, which is the most significant part of going to the South Pole is the, uh, the fuel cost. Why uh, April? Is that a better time? To it's the only it? time that you can go. Oh, um, really? Weather? Yeah. It's just like the season. It's kind of like uh, going to the South Pole. You can only go from uh, the end of November till early January. It's about five or six weeks of a season. The same thing in the Arctic. And then because the ice breaks, because the, remember, Antarctica is a continent, but the North Pole, you know, South Pole, but the North Pole is not a continent. It's just like an ice shelf, basically. And when it gets warm, it cracks. So there's only certain times you can safely go and then like land. Because then a lot of times after that, there will be boats that come in from Murmansk, um, Russia, and they're like icebreakers. So it really screws up the ice, you know. <laughs> so you can only go for a short period of time. What is the, I mean, obviously, uh, we're adventurous in a way that, you, like I hear about it, now I want to do it. Uh, if I can get a sponsor to pay $20,000, maybe I'll do it. Um, I hope you do. <laughs> does it give you perspective of the earth or something, being at the pole? I mean, does something about it you know, humble you in it, a way? It, you know, going to the South Pole was the most humbling experience of my life. And and I say that and it sounds dramatic, but it really wasn't. And you got to understand from for someone like me who's been to literally every every country in the world and like I've, you know, sold businesses and done a lot of a lot of stuff, you know? It it was it was such a sense of accomplishment like that I I it's hard to explain because so few people in history have been to the South Pole and people like famous explorers have died trying to get there. You know what I mean? Obviously, I'm not like mushing across with like dogs and stuff like yeah. that, like like Scott or Shackleton did. But I mean, <laughs> you know, to to reach a point where so few people have been like literally just a couple hundred people have been there in history who are not scientists. Remember, people have only reached the South Pole for the last hundred years. And there's only a couple dozen people a year that have gone, and that's just for the last like 10 or 15 years. So there's only a couple hundred people that have ever been there who aren't scientists, like at the U.S. Research Station. Research Station. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it was just an experience, and it's so hard to get there. And when you actually achieve that, um, especially me with the first year failing to get there, and you spend so much time and money and effort to get there, it was it was such a letdown. And for how some, did you? What 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 went wrong? Um, there was two planes, and one of them had uh, a problem, like not an accident, but it sort of was an accident. Anyway, so 
there was only one plane. And then you're down there for 10 days originally, and we had a big group. We were the first group of the season. This is the one with um, Prince Harry and, like, the guy from The Wire and the guy from True Blood and, like, a bunch of other things. It was a BBC-sponsored thing for Walking with the Wounded. Anyway, we were down with them. But the problem is there's only one plane, and everyone has to share it. So the Russians gave um, Prince Harry and, and the BBC crew priority because we were snowed in for the first four days because of, like, terrible weather. So you couldn't fly anyway. So by the time it was done, and they had, like, 35 people or something in their group, and, but the plane can only fit 12 people. So basically it's two days back and forth each way that they had to shuttle them down there. So by the time... It would have been our turn. We were out of days, and we had to get back to Cape Town. So it really <laughs> sucked. And uh, so you're just hanging out down there for no. You're not five just days. hanging out. Like you're doing like a lot of other activities. Like you do uh, some mountain climbing, some ice climbing. There's caving. You do these awesome hikes. There's even a Via Ferrata down there, which is like essentially like uh, climbing on the side of a mountain. Oh, wow. um, it's. Uh, it's it's an amazing experience. It really is. And if that was all you did, it would be one of the best times of your life. The the problem was the idea was to do that and to get to the South Pole. So, you know, we had this amazing experience, but we didn't accomplish our main objective. Uh, so, and it was really upsetting. And especially for some, you know, you put so much time and money and everything into it, energy and you, you prepare for it for months and you buy all this gear. And then when you don't do it through no fault of your own, it's just something completely out of your control. It's very, very frustrating. So going back this year, we nearly didn't make it again uh, because of weather and everything else. And then we made it like literally at the last second by the skin of our teeth. And um, even when we did, they told us we only had a 30% chance of getting there. So it was like walking on eggshells the whole trip down. And we thought the weather was going to turn, but then it didn't. Um, so anyway, when we made it, it was just such a rush. Honestly, it's hard to explain. Uh, what, what an experience, though. Yeah, uh, truly. Well, speaking of uh, uh, travel and things that can go wrong, give me your worst Health scare, whether it's uh, in whatever country you're in, the, the scariest moment, and you're like, I might die in this place. Oh, man. Um, well, I do a lot of dumb stuff. Like, I jump <laughs> off stuff, and like, you know, um, like I, I'm big into bungee jumping and skydiving and cliff jumping. Um, you know, I, I got, I've been really, really sick, like, you know, like travel sick uh, a couple times. Like in India, I got it horribly one time. The first Me time. Me too. India oh. took me down, man. And I got a strong stomach, but yeah, India wiped me out. Sam, it crushed me, man. I always jokingly say, if you want to if, if you wanna lose some weight, go to India oh, for a month and then just God. drink the water and see what happens. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the first time I was there, for there, I was there for like two and a half months. And, um, and, I, and it was funny because I was there in like 03 or 04 and I was backpacking um, because I thought that was how you're supposed to do India. And I was staying <laughs> in like one, two dollar a night places. What oh. a terrible, terrible idea that was. Yeah. And uh, in if you're going to be on a budget, that's not the country to budget. And yeah, and the thing was, like, I, I didn't have to do that, but I did because I thought it was like the travel experience. You know, you're supposed to have keeping it real, man. It, yeah, it was stupid. And then, uh, <laughs> but like every time I've been back to India since, you know, the nice hotels in India are really, really nice, and they're really affordable. Like for yeah. like eighty bucks, you can get like a like a five star hotel, like a really nice place. So, and it makes all the difference, especially if you're in a city and it's like. A lot of poverty it's and like chaos, squalor and chaos around India you. India is hard. It's, it's a hard place. It's a tough place. I mean, I, I like it, but I don't, you know, I'm not like one of these people. India is like, some people get it in their blood and they're just like, oh my God, it's the most amazing place in the world. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? And I'm I didn't, there. yeah, I didn't get it as well. I mean, once we got out of the cities, I found it to be a lot more tolerable. Like Kashmir and uh, up near Darjeeling and Sikkim, that's beautiful. And down in the south and Kerala is nice. Yeah, um, I, mean, I was in Goa having fun yeah, for a week. Yeah, that's nice, of course. Like, and like parts of it are nice, but uh, like the cities for me are... Um, they're oppressive. I mean, it's terrible. really hard. Yeah, and it's like Bangladesh or something like, like Dhaka, you know, same kind of thing. I, I just... 
I don't like those types of cities and I don't like people constantly grabbing at you. And, you know, I mean, to see the, the, the people on the street, the homeless people on the street, just everywhere, you know, it's hard, you know, and I get that it's real and all that and totally get that. But, you know, I guess it's kind of for me, it's been there, done that. I'd rather just stay in a nice place and, <laughs> you know, just see what I want to see now. What, uh, if any country, I mean, I asked you before what surprised you and you were pleased with, but has there been a reverse? Was there some country that you were really looking forward to and you got there and you were like, eh, I'd, what a letdown. <laughs> you know, I um, always try to have um, no expectations going into a place because I learned a long time ago that, like, you know, it depends really who you talk to. Like some people will be like, oh my God, it's the most amazing place. And they're like the person that just sat in a hostel reading a book for exactly. two weeks. They're like, oh my God, I loved Amsterdam. Well, what'd you do there? Well, I just stayed in the hostel. It's like, shut up. <laughs> but I mean, uh, so I try to have not many expectations. Um, if I had to choose one, and this is a tough question, I would probably say China. And um, I haven't been to mainland China. I've only been to Hong Kong and Taiwan, so I haven't been to mainland China. Yeah, I mean, um, now if you go out of, uh, well, Hong Kong, obviously, or like Beijing or Shanghai, like one of the big cities that are super developed and very westernized, like, okay, those are okay. They're, they're very doable. But outside of that... Is it like India? No, no, it's, it's, it's much better, much better than India. The, uh, the infrastructure is way better. The, you know, there's a lot less poverty. I mean, hardly any, really. Um, it's just, the, it, you know, it's just like one of those things. It's hard to even explain. I've, I've been to China, I don't know, 12 times, and um, I'm there at least once or twice a year nowadays. And outside of Shanghai, which is a great city, I really love it. I really want to see Shanghai. Great city. I don't love Beijing, but, uh, you know, it's, it's still an all right city. But, I mean... Uh, Outside of there, it's like, you know, you get some nice scenery and stuff like that, but it's very difficult to communicate. Um, uh, the food, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, you know, everyone's just like, oh, China, it's going to, you know, and, and make no mistake, they are taking over the world without a doubt. I mean, just look at the Chinese influence in Africa and like Western Australia. Yeah, they're going like after that. Africa hard. They, and they own it. They don't, yeah. They're not just going after it. They own it. They own rights. They own minerals. They own ports. It's amazing. It's kind of frightening, though. It's the, terrifying. When the Chinese get, you know, money, it's, you know, now all of a sudden the ivory trade is back. Totally. And look worse. how they And the poaching and the... Um, they want to build a, a, a super highway right through the Serengeti, it's, and they might get might happen. And because of the corruption and the lack yeah. of money in Africa, they might actually accomplish that stuff. And they don't care about you know animal rights or no. you know the human rights all that stuff. They're building infrastructure. You yeah, know, I need a rhino horn medicine for my erection. That's what I need. <laughs> That, that would be an interesting uh, remedy. And they're um, selling. They, that's what they do. They're selling. <laughs> that's one of the biggest uh, these old herbal. Chinese medicines that require tiger paw and, and you know things like that. It's really bad. It's really bad. Yeah. So maybe it's just a cultural thing, or maybe it's a I don't know. Maybe it's like a a built in sort of fear of the Chinese takeover of the world. I don't know what it is. It's just I've never just fell in love with China. I just never have, and I you know I've given it several chances, and and I'm sure I'll go back there again. Well, also year. a big problem is there and in India, it's a billion people in one place. That's a that's the problem. In those two places, it's something like forty percent of the world. And you add in Bangladesh and Indonesia, it's like yeah. one out of two people in the world live in like those like four countries. It's crazy. Like what when you see places like that? I mean, has that affected you uh, on a personal level in terms of like, I mean, what you need to survive and and what you need to be happy? I mean, I I, I take pleasure in like simple things. I'm very minimalist and. I'm a complete minimalist. Look over your right shoulder. That's all I brought. For, like, <laughs> yeah. Like I'm away for like two weeks. That's all I have. <laughs> like, and uh, I'm looking at a small backpack and uh, a carry-on. Yeah. It's just a, the computer bag and then just like yeah. a carry-on. That's it. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I don't need need much. I mean, if you see my apartment in New York, I have literally have nothing in it. You know what I mean? No. It's just which is ca- good. But couch, it's for bed. New York, that's that, that's all you can fit. Anyway. Couch, bed, TV, uh, <laughs> internet, Wi-Fi. That's yeah, all you I mean, need. That's pretty much it, man. Every I, I eat out every meal. You know what I mean? I don't like cooking. I don't do the dishes. So you know stuff like that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. That's need very much. New York. Yeah, it is. But uh, <laughs> if I had a big house or whatever, you know, if I lived in LA, uh, it'd be the same. I, yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't buy stuff. Um, even when I travel, I don't buy stuff. Um, maybe I buy a T-shirt, but that's generally because I w- couldn't do laundry and I just need a clean shirt. <laughs> need a fresh Whalers yeah, uh, exactly, T-shirt, or Quebec Nordiques, or people, something like that. People recognize the, the Yankees symbol all over the world man. everywhere man it's like one of my call signs like if you look at most of my pictures i always have a yankee sign even at the south pole i like <laughs> wrist uh, frostbite on my ears taking off my hat uh my my wool hat and then putting the yankee hat on and take pictures so well i'm um, a sports fan too and and but i'm a i'm also a soccer fan same and that has helped me around the world everywhere first of all they're amazed that american knows anything yep. about it yep and b you can uh, have a conversation with just about anybody in any pub or any taxi driver anywhere in the world. Yeah, I'm a ma- massive sports fan, massive soccer fan. Um, you know, living in Europe, uh, I followed as closely as I follow baseball or football here. Um, I'm a huge Arsenal and Barcelona fan. Oh, wow. Okay. And how about you? Um, I like the kind of those, I guess it's a Chicago thing as well, that uh, I like the mid-level teams that like you think are going to do it every year and crush you. So it's the, uh, break Chicago, your heart. the Chicago like, inferiority like thing? Spur, yeah, like Spurs <laughs> or Everton or things like that. They're just like, this is going to be it. This is the year. And then they just rip your heart out every you – know, I'm a masochist that way. Yeah. It's I for mean, being a Cubs fan. For Yeah, that's, that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Cubs fans, they're just <laughs> – I don't even understand. But I like that. to see – I've seen uh, soccer matches in like Rio, um, Buenos Aires, England, Istanbul and stuff. But I – I like to see any sporting event where I go because not only is it – I mean, culturally, you can learn a lot about the place. I, I plan half the – literally, probably more than half the trips I do based around sporting events like uh, World Cup, Rugby World Cup. You mentioned uh, games in Rio. I've been to the Americana, you know, stuff like that. I saw River Plate and uh, Boca Juniors in oh, okay. uh, NBA. Yeah, I went and, to two Boca Juniors games. Uh, yeah, I've been to tons of VPL stadiums, uh, Spain, uh, Italy. I always try, uh, even Amsterdam, Ajax, you know. So. I toured the stadiums. Like, yeah. I toured Old Trafford. I toured the Real Madrid Stadium. I did the one in Cape Town. Yeah. I was there about three months before the uh, the World Cup. Oh, that's awesome. But uh, have they found anybody to use that stadium yet? That was yeah, a big just, concern. They just host events there. They do like concerts, and um, you know they'll have like uh, some rugby games there. But then they have the other rugby stadium on the other side of Cape Town. So yeah, they they built this beautiful thing, and then they didn't have anybody who's going to use it after the games. Well, I that's mean, like that's Brazil. A, I mean, my God. What, what, yeah, but at least Brazil has a domestic league, so like those stadiums will but get not, used, but not uh, to the, the not the in financial Manaus, extent. and not in uh, you know some of these cities that they put them in. They went a bit overboard. I mean, they had they had twelve host cities. I mean, I know it's a big country. But even when the U.S. could have done six or seven. Yeah. When the U.S. was host, I think they had like, yeah, six to eight. I forget the number. I mean, it's 20 years ago. But, uh, you know, it's a bit much. Um, But, you know, that's the problem with like cities that host the Olympics. That's why nobody wants to host the Summer Olympics anymore. I mean, basically bankrupted Greece. Yeah, Athens. And, they um, they showed. The, I, I saw it on TV. They were showing the stadiums. They built a baseball stadium. Yeah. No one's going to use a baseball stadium in Greece. So of course, it's all decrepit now. The velodrome where the bicycling was is all like weeds going through it. It's really depressing. I mean, even in Beijing, like with the bird's nest, it doesn't really get used for anything. It's now like a tourist thing. People go and yeah. take pictures. I mean, that's really it. The one in Sydney from 2000. I mean, they play uh, Aussie Rules football there a couple months a year. But then the other stuff they barely use. Um, and then they're going to do a, a World Cup in Qatar. 
Are you uh, kidding me? Don't get me started. No one's going to go. This is the most corrupt thing. Um, oh yeah, well, between that and Russia, I mean, think about it. 2018, 2022, I mean, yeah. I'm not I'm sure, going to the next two. There's I'm no sure, way. I'm sure there was no payments going oh on there. Oh, my God. The, the Sochi Olympics, what, that cost $50 billion, and it all went to the pockets of Putin's friends. And, and, and Sochi, believe me, I was there like two years before the Olympics. I was there in like 2012. What a dump. Really? It is, it is like the they worst They created town. like a fake town, right? Yeah, basically, they. first of all, it's a beach town. It's not even <laughs> like a mountain town. It's on the Black Sea. It's like a beach. I mean, it's a crappy beach at that, but it's a beach. And, uh, you know, I, what, what a joke. Uh, I know, <laughs> and I love to go to the Olympics and stuff like that. Like, Vancouver was amazing. You know what I mean? Well, um, well it's Vancouver. And, I mean, it's beautiful. And I'll probably go to Pyeongchang in uh, 20, uh, was it 2018. But because um, I'm just curious how they're going to do it in Asia, you know, I think it'd be kind of cool. Um, but yeah, Sochi, what a, what a disaster! I know some people that were out there, and they said it was terrible. Um, but yeah, the, the World Cup in Russia, huh, okay, maybe. No, I'm going to skip it. I mean, they're going to put a stadium in like Kamchatka, you know, yeah. what I mean? like like in Vladivostok. Like, what are you going to do, Irkutsk? You know. Um, well, I mean, they, uh, yeah, I mean, they have a, a at least a strong domestic league that they they have stadiums. They have to revamp them. Yeah. But the infrastructure is kind of there already. But I mean, place like a guitar. And, and then you got to fly those Russian airlines domestically, and trust me, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, oh God. <laughs> and yeah. in Qatar, they're going to build like seven stadiums, like world class stadiums, yeah. and, and it's a. 120 degrees in the summer. Not to mention, it's, it's like the size of Rhode Island, the whole yeah. country. You know what I mean? So it's like basically like a big town. And uh, and and I read that they're going to essentially disassemble the stadiums, at least like three or four of them afterwards. How do you disassemble a stadium? And then they're going <laughs> to ship know. it to Africa and donate it to African, like, you know, I don't know, cities or like oh. whatever to have them have stadiums. Like, how does that work? This is the most corrupt. <laughs> FIFA was paid off. So what, oh a, what an evil organization. FIFA, FIFA and the, and the uh, IOC are the two most corrupt organizations <laughs> on the planet. And they're at least like like the NCAA is the most hypocritical uh, yeah. organization on earth but at least they theoretically don't take payoffs or at least like it's not painfully obvious like it is and they the answer to no one and pay no taxes it's amazing it's, it's and they're all based in like switzerland you know? yeah <laughs> it's like, convenient okay very convenient <laughs> so uh would you settle down one day you think to live overseas somewhere and if you did where would you live no um i um i will always live in america the only way i i wouldn't live in america is if uh i was to potentially i don't know marry somebody who lived in like <laughs> australia or somewhere else that i wouldn't mind living in you know but i don't I love America. We we live in the best city, a country in the world. We are very lucky to be born here and to be able to live here. And listen, we got as many problems as any other country in the world. I'm the first to admit that. But you don't realize how good we have it here until you've really traveled and seen some 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 shit. And well, uh, isn't it the? I mean, to me, and as two of us who love to travel, uh, it's depressing how few people take advantage of of the freedom we have. In terms of travel and never leave. What is only like 35% of people have passports even in this country? I think it's less than that. But yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. But, um, you know, I also kind of always try to take the other um, viewpoint of things too. And uh, if you talk to some people who have never like lost, left the country but might, you know, might go some places, we kind of have everything here, you know? Well, I get, I get that. I'm a, but I get and also the, that we have so few uh, vacation days and that times. Too. that yeah. we. We don't stress travel. I mean, you're not encouraged to do it. No, as a kid. places like Australia, they really stress it on their kids, you know. And then take a year off, go, you know. They and they leave and they go, man. They. I mean, I totally agree. I, I mean, I never traveled as a kid. I mean, the first I never time left, left the country, country is twenty. And, yeah, me uh, too. The only reason I actually studied abroad 
in the first place was basically one of my best friends was going to do it. And he was just like, Hey man, why don't you come? And I was like, eh, why would I want to do that? Like, um, yeah, this fraternity is pretty fun and like yeah. doing this kind of stuff. And I mentioned, I remember mentioning it to my dad once and he was just like, why would you do that? I'm like, all right, now I'm going just because you just <laughs> right. told me like not to. So that was basically why I went. And, um, turned out to be the best thing I ever did in my life. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, um, you know, aside from what I'm doing now, I mean, even if I never tried to get into the travel business, just having the perspective and the travel experiences I have has shaped my life and my viewpoints and my mindset and everything about my, myself these days. Well, I understand the people that you, know, you may not have the money, you may not have the time. What I don't understand ever is people who don't have the curiosity. You know, and uh, my brother's one of those guys, you know, I would tell him about these places like you would love this, the, you know, New Zealand, you love to hunt and fish and, and, and camp and do all that stuff. He goes, well, I think there's a lot to do here. Think, well, think yeah, about, it's think, not an either or situation. You can like both. You, just think, because I like other places doesn't mean I hate America. Totally. You know what I mean? I mean, think about <laughs> I don't, it's like a knee jerk thing. It's like, no, I have to. Why? Why would I want to go there? Oh, I don't know. Hundred percent, dude. Think think about these <laughs> think about these like townies that you grew up with. You went to like middle school and high school with, and you're just thinking the whole time. I remember thinking to myself, "You guys are never leaving this town." You yeah. know what I mean? And sure enough, they're they're all still there. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's there's their a choice. part of me who's just goes like, "I wish I could be that content. I wish I could just be that." Just go, yeah. No, I'm happy here. It's like really, you've seen pictures of Paris your whole life. You never wanted to. Look at it, <laughs> like yeah. see it for yourself. No, I don't get it. No, I agree, and uh, you know it's hard to understand the mindset. And I, I'm just glad I'm not like that, to be honest. Right. But I mean, um, but at the same time, I, I never preach to people what they should do, and you right. live your life the way you want. Um, what I like to do, you might not like to do, just because I have that perspective doesn't mean you'd like it. I know people that went to London; it was the only place they've ever been, and they're like, "This place sucked." You know, whereas yeah. for me, it was people like, don't want to leave their comfort now. zone. They yeah. really don't. Yeah. I mean, and okay. But, uh, yeah, the one thing I can do, is, and I know you'd probably try to do, is just try to dissuade their fear. You know, people are so afraid. It's like, you know, I, I would tell people, I'm going to Croatia. Well, what's the language like over there? I go, you'll be fine. You're lucky you know English. That's what I tell people because it's the closest thing to a world, world language that we have. 100%. Another thing, you know, you're just lucky you were born here. And what I do hate is, like, when people say, oh, I know English. I don't even have to try anything else. And it's like, okay, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I mean, come on, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you go <laughs> learn thanks, just, just and, learn hello, thank you, please, goodbye. Like, you know, four four words. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you live in, and I would tell people, you live in California. You haven't, like, by osmosis, you should know some Spanish. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you could just look at any menu, any of the signs. Los Angeles means the angels. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. The names of everything you could probably get. Yeah. No, I, trust <laughs> me. I'm with you on that one. It's crazy. So other than like, well, just to kind of wrap it up. I mean, how has this, you touched on it a little bit. How has it changed you as a person seeing what you've seen, uh, knowing what you know? How has it shaped you as, as a person and how you relate to people? I mean, it's just given me um, a, a global perspective on on people like you know, it's, it's, it's kind of cool because there's not a person alive whose country I've not been to. So whoever I meet, I can kind of relate to them in some way. At least I could say, Oh, it's in, you know, the capital of your country or like whatever it might be. And you can, in, I always do research. So I know stuff about each place, you know what I mean? So it's like, I can have a conversation about it and that's only because I've been there. Like if I didn't go there, you know, you know about the big stuff, but you don't know about like what's going on in like Gabon, you know? So it's, um, it's interesting, and you see things firsthand, uh, and you realize like that the media 
um, the news media since over sensationalizes lots of stuff like CNN, Fox News, um, you know, who I appear on quite frequently. And I hate when they uh, go crazy about like like stuff, you know, and uh, over sensationalize like Ebola and some other stuff. Um, well, fear sells. Yeah, fear sells know. exactly. Like uh, it, it's 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 terrible. But I mean, at the same time, that shapes people's opinions. And now everyone's just like, oh my god, I'm never going to Africa. Like I was, I just came back from South Africa with the South Pole situation, and uh, my buddy was going to come with. Uh, just to the Cape Town part and just hang out for like a week. He'd never been to Cape Town. I was like, man, I got a hotel, you know, just come oh, down. Cape Town's hang. one of the best. Yeah, cities. one of the best cities in the world. He's like, oh man, I'm not going to Ebola. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I mean, Ebola is like 5,000 miles away from yeah. Cape Town, you know, like in, in West Africa. Know, in, Africa is enormous. Exactly. And, and an, you know what I said to him? I was like, how many confirmed cases were there in America? What, three or four? Yeah. How many confirmed cases were in South Africa? Zero. So. That's like saying there's there's disease down in Costa Rica, so yeah. I'm not going to America. <laughs> that's how close it is. That's nah, how far. but that's that's how people see it. It's kind of like the Sarah Palin Africa is a country thing. Like you yeah. don't realize that there's like 53 <laughs> countries in Africa. You know what I mean? It's, it's huge. Like, it's a massive, massive place, and it's so different in the different regions. Like, yeah, look at North Sub-Saharan Africa. Sub-Saharan. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. But yeah, that that's pretty much it. You just kind of see things at more of a grassroots level, and you can kind of relate to the people and. Um, you know, there's something to be said for a firsthand experience, uh, you know, whether it was uh, you were there for a day or a year, um, there's something to be said for seeing a place with your own eyes and, uh, you know, talking to people and seeing how people are, interact, and um, just having a, a relatively informed opinion or at least like, you know, being able to contribute to a conversation. Well, I hate when people ask me this questions because I can't do favorites. When What's people your favorite say, country? Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> Um, but if, is there one place or a couple places that you, when, whenever you book it, you're going, man, I could go back there anytime. I mean, it's- um, it, you know, I, that's the, the people's number one question. Usually number two is how do you pay for it? Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's an almost impossible question because you have different favorites or at least like a group of favorites no, I do. for different I, things. I have my Asian favorites. I have my yeah. European favorites. And- but, um, you know, kind of my elevator answer to this, to this question is generally if I was to, be forced to move out of America, um, I would probably say Australia would be the place. Like, if the distance was not the factor that it was, I would live in Sydney in a, in a heartbeat. It's yeah. such a wonderful city. Um, I also love Canada. I, um, you know, I, I like everything about Canada. Well, I say uh, Australians are like Canadians with tans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're very similar. Exactly. And, you know, and people are like, oh, you like the, uh, you know, the white countries that speak English. And <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. Well, the English is nice. It's yeah. just like those countries are very nice and they're similar to America, you know? And um, I like America. I, that's why I live here. So if I was to live somewhere else, I would want someplace that was similar. Like, as much as I love love a place like Thailand, I could never live there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I like to, I love to visit there, and every time I go, I'm I'm really excited to go there. I could live in Cape Town too. Cape yeah. Town, South Africa, is another place I could live. Um, wonderful city. Um, but you know, like I, you know, it's a cultural thing, maybe it's or personal preference. I don't know. Um, I just prefer Western style things. Um, also, I hate to uh, do this, but I, I, I have a strong feelings because food is a huge part of my travel. Same. Favorite cuisines? No question, Italian. Yeah. No Italian? Question. Yeah. That's, not even, that's not the even go-to. For that is massive. Uh, I mean, I could eat... I eat like a fucking hog every oh, time I go. <laughs> dude, yeah. I feel you. That and Thailand. Those are two of my top two. I mean, I could eat pizza every day of my life. Literally, probably every meal of my <laughs> life. Um, yeah, pizza, uh, Italian food, Mexican, Japanese, Thai... Um, uh, Turkish food, love it. Um, Korean, I liked. 
Eh, I'm not a huge fan of really? Korean food. Yeah, oh, the man. kimchi thing. I just I'm not buying it. Really, um, man, yeah. I loved it. Yeah, but I mean, you know, different strokes for different folks. I mean, um, not yeah. everyone loves sushi. You know, I love sushi. I love Japanese food. Um, I don't really like Chinese food. Some people swear by it. Yeah. You know? So um, uh, I like Indian food. Um, I'm wary of it, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I love Indian food. I love curry. Um, I love the Middle Eastern foods. Like uh, Yemen is one of my favorite places to eat in the world. Yemen. Really? What is it? Is it uh, like curries and hummus? A lot of those. Yeah, kind of a, thing? a little bit of both. Not so much hummus, but you definitely get some curries and in like uh, some like non-style bread, but like with a Yemeni flair to it. Ooh, it's, that sounds uh, good. It's delicious. Ethiopian food is really good. Ethiopian has the best food. Uh, in Africa, uh, yeah. I'll argue that with anybody, and um, because I, I don't want to say because, but it definitely helped the fact that they were colonized by Italians, <laughs> and so there's a definite Italian influence in Ethiopia and Eritrea, which also has great food. And uh, I'm not a huge coffee drinker, but um, I I believe, and I've been told by other people who are coffee drinkers, they have the best coffee in Africa. Also, oh, yeah, I live in a little little Ethiopia here. I live right near it there. Oh, it's nice. so great. I'm between Little Ethiopia and Koreatown. It's yeah, not Cam- it's not a bad place. No, no, not at all. Cam- Cameroon <laughs> has good food too, and so is Tunisia. Yeah, yeah. What is the uh, was there a area or a country you went to where it's like there is I can't find anything on the menu I like um you know it's funny I um I always jokingly but seriously because I do it um I bring Tabasco sauce um when I leave the yeah. country um and I hate hate the food in Russia and that's, a, that's another reason why I didn't so want to go. I I I don't know what anything is really. And, um, you know, and I, I just, I like, I don't like borscht. I know oh. everyone's like, Oh, borscht. I'm like, it's eh. terrible. And everything else kind of tastes like, and it's really like heavy soggy and really... bread and potatoes. Yeah. And, you know, it's just not for me. So, um, usually I just end up like ordering, you know, whatever, and then just throwing a bunch of Tabasco sauce on it. And there's no flavors, you know what I mean? There's no real flavor. So I, I would say Russia is find that one pizza like joint in town. Yeah, you try. You just hope it's not Pizza Hut. Right. I refuse. I'd rather I'd rather go to the store and buy potato chips. Mm-hmm. What's the craziest uh, animal you've ever eaten? Um, ugh, I had guinea pig in, uh, Peru. in Peru. I had yeah. that one, and then I think I've eaten alpaca and and then like things like uh, crocodile and stuff in yeah. Africa. You you eat and I, honestly, goat. a lot of goat. People eat a lot of goat. And I can't get into it. Yeah, I mean uh, in Mexico you eat goat all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cabron. Yeah. Um, I, I eat uh, a, a lot. Um, I've eaten pretty much anything you can think of, to be honest. Uh, I, sharks, whales, yeah. uh, uh, any kind of little uh, gamey, you know. I try not to eat things that are endangered. Like, I have a shark fin thing. I, I, I don't like shark. Eat. It was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible. Um, What's whale like? It tastes like uh, it's like a steak, you yeah. know, because they're a mammal, you know. So it's, uh, it's basically like you're eating a steak, and it's, it's absolutely delicious. Like, if you go to Iceland... That's the best whale I've had, and um, you know, I you know, people go crazy about like you know what you're eating and like you know this and that. And okay, that's fine, but I mean, they serve it there, so I mean, it's already in the store. You know, <laughs> how about like bush meat or anything in Africa? Love, like love, um, like I, I was just eating springback uh, two weeks ago. It's one. Oh, of I had springback in South Africa. Oh, yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, um, I'll eat any of that stuff. I'll eat anything really. I mean, I'll try anything. <laughs> Some of the seafoods I kind of shy away from. Yeah, Japan, it's like they pull things out of the sea that I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> China China is the other place that I just have a difficult time eating. Um, I mean, because if you go to the nice restaurants in China, they're usually excellent, like some of the you know dumpling-type places, <clears throat> excuse me, noodle restaurants, that kind yeah. of thing. Those are wonderful, but if you eat at some of those markets, and sometimes when people are like, oh, my God, I always eat at the markets, and I'm like, 
Ugh, really? Like he eats that disgusting ass seafood that they have, like just has been sitting out there for a week. You know, it's like, ugh. oh, I had the insects in uh, Thailand too, uh, up in Chiang Mai. There's some of those, like, uh, yeah, some of those things they stir fry. But yeah, if you stir fry something hard enough, you don't know what it is. Yeah, it's anymore. like fried crickets or like yeah. you eat those maggots in Mexico or something like that. And it's like, oh, I'm eating maggots. It's gross, but it doesn't really taste like anything. You yeah, know what I mean? it's just if you fry it because they need the protein and they have to. That's all. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, listen, you realize you can deep fry anything. Thing, pretty much right i mean listen it, you can eat it it's not like pizza or nachos <laughs> or something but you know it's uh you can get anything down so when you get back to new york what's the first thing you eat pizza you, yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. um yeah tomorrow that's what i'm having for dinner uh, have you had a what the best pizza outside of new york or italy you've ever had um that's a good question uh i'll be honest i i do Probably two trips a year to Chicago just to eat pizza. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. You saying that for my, for my benefit? No, I'm actually not. I I, I like. Where it. do you go? Um, What's your place? I, I go to all the places. Um, I pretty much just go on a two day pizza binge oh, eating regimen. Me too. Um, I have to say probably Lou Malnati's. Lou Malnati's. I was gonna say. Yeah, it's probably my favorite. Um, I like Gino's East too. Um, I like them all. They're all pretty good. Don't discount the thin, though. Don't discount the thin crust, either. No, I mix it up. Mix okay, it up good. For sure. Um, but the uh, the sausage patties, just, oh. oh, God, they're like to die for. I grew up on the south side, so there's a, there's a chain called Aurelio's. Mm. If you can get some of that. All right, next time I'll next check time that out. Next time you go. Um, the other place uh, outside of like Chicago, because everyone knows that for yeah. pizza, um, Phoenix, Arizona has Come some on, really good pizza. True story. Oh, You I'm know sorry. what? It's, it's all the retired Chicago people. But the best pizza in the country, <laughs> period, is New Haven, Connecticut. I would, I've heard of this. Yeah. So, uh, is it a specific place? Yeah. Uh, Frank Pepe's. Okay. Um, and then there's Sally's and then there's Modern's. There's three places in like kind of like the little Italy <laughs> area um, on Worcester Street in New Haven. Well, Modern's not on there, but Pepe's and Sally's are kind of right next to each other. And Pepe's is like every year when you see the Travel Channel list of top 10 pizzas in the country, that's number one. Um, I would put it number one over any place in New York. And the only place in the world that I would put ahead of that is a place called Don Michele in Naples, Italy. Okay. Amazing. And every region of Italy, they have their own version, and it's like everyone fights over which is the best. That's the thing. Of, that's the thing. That's the thing about Italy, man. You could go to you can go on a hundred vacations there, and it's always going to be different. I've been Food. to Sicily a couple times, Love. and you know, and that's completely different than the north. You know, they look at you know everything's different. The cuisine, yeah. people, the the scenery, and the northern people look down at them like they're like the rednecks of well, Italy. Well, people in Milan hate the people in southern Italy yeah. because they think you know since they make all the money, they're carrying all the people in the south who like do nothing. Kind of sure. kind of like how New Yorkers or Bostonians or DC Kentucky. people feel about yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's kind of funny how that works. But it's also cold in Milan and it's not in Sicily, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like that whole north south mentality. Absolutely. Man. And people move slower. They right. did the, and people say that the, uh, the Italian food that we know here is more Sicilian because they were more the immigrants that came over. And like the heavy red sauces and things like that are more Sicilian. Yeah. And uh, generally, if it's a northern Italian style restaurant in the States, it usually like kind of brags about it or whatever to try <laughs> yeah. to, you know, to d- distinctify, 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 to be, dis- okay. to be distinct. I'll take about, it. I'll like, accept it difference. as a word. You can make up your own language here. <laughs> Differentiate themselves. All right. So this year, what uh, were your next trips? What can we expect from you and your website this year? Um, well, I'll be in Phoenix for the Super Bowl and uh, then I'll be up in Alberta, Canada which is uh, my favorite place in Canada. And, I haven't uh, been to Alberta. Oh, it's wonderful. 
Um, I want to go to Banff too. Oh, it's killer. Yeah, I'll be there for four days. I'll be in Calgary and in Banff. It's just a wonderful place. Um, Are you skiing? Is that what you're going to do? Some skiing, going to do some heli snowshoeing. So heli snowshoeing. You go Interesting. Up in a, I've never done it before, but I'm under the impression you go up in a helicopter and they drop you off in this like frozen glacial lake and you just like hike. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It should be fun. I'm excited. And then uh, from there, I go to um, Bali to. Uh, well, I'll be back in LA for a wedding. Then I go to Bali um, to do a cruise. One of my other uh, um, partners, Azamara Club Cruises, and uh, really look forward to that. So I go from Bali to Manila, and I'm just going to hang out probably in the Philippines, or I might go over to uh, Vietnam for a few days. Love Vietnam. Yeah, and uh, so I'm, and then after that, let's see, I go to Key West for my friend's bachelor party, and then um, uh, then I'm. Uh, I have a couple things brewing. I'm not exactly sure. And I like to be home a lot for Yankees season. Oh, uh, geez, this guy with his Yankees. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, oh, gee, what has it been? Two years since you've been in a World Series? <laughs> 2009. Oh, um, but yeah, bitch. I do. Uh, I have a lot of TV stuff coming up. Um, so I'm working on a couple big projects. And then, uh, yeah, so I, I'm trying to be home more now. This uh, Last year I was home probably about half the year, which is nice. Wow. Um, and this year I'm in – it's nice. So I'm going to try to do that again this year. And I do a lot of stuff in New York, so um, – Do you see yourself slowing down? I mean, is it like as you as the years go by, you're like, you know what? Home is starting to well, – like, I mean, My I, bed is really comfortable. Yeah, it is. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I consciously am slowing down. and uh, But at the same time, I'm more of a business now than um, – I was in the past when I was still trying to go everywhere, you know? So, I mean, I still do some like really intrepid trips and I, I like to do crazy things. Like I'll be doing the North pole in April and stuff like that. But at the same time, uh, I have a, a lot of business and television commitments. So, um, I have to be home to do certain things. Okay. Well, finally, if we, to wrap it up, what would you tell people who are listening and then are kind of living vicariously through you and maybe seem, I don't know, hesitant to travel. And do you, is there a standard thing you uh, say to people that, are maybe like not into traveling as much or afraid of it or yeah it's pretty simple just do it just don't even think about it jesus christ just go and uh you know listen the worst that happens is you're going to have an experience so if you go to even if you just go to canada or mexico you know what i mean or you fly out to london or paris at least you tried and if you don't like it that's fine but just give it a shot you know and i don't want to hear about oh, it's so expensive like the airfares you know the hotels the whole thing listen you know just make an effort do it and if you don't like it don't do it again but just try it you can't win if you don't try you know it's like that lottery, <laughs> it's like that lottery uh, expression you know you can't win if you don't play <laughs> yeah you, you got to try you got to give it a shot and you know if you don't like it that's cool but give it a shot well, it was great to meet you, man. I'm, I'm you glad too, man. we could do this and yeah. I could catch you on one of your uh, many trips around the world. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. And really I'm envious and uh, I look forward to seeing uh, seeing you on TV. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Sell and a show, will you? <laughs> I'm working on that. And if you need correspondence, let me know. I, I will do it. Or anybody, it. if you can't do that trip to Bali. As especially. long as you wear that Brooklyn Nets shirt. Uh, see, I, I gave you some <laughs> New York love when I came in here. All right, it's Lee Abamante, everybody. Thanks, man. Anytime. Anytime.